Welcome back to Second and Short. It is January 27th, 2023, and this weekend is where the great teams separate themselves from the good. We'll see future Hall of Famers, one-year wonders, playoff heroes, and that one guy that no one cared about until he saved your franchise. From the Tom Brady's and Emmett Smith's to the Nick Foles and Sony Michelle's, it's 49ers-Eagles, it's Bengals-Chiefs, and God damn it, ladies and gentlemen, it's championship weekend. Yes. All right, I feel like that sets the tone for this entire episode. We're jam-packed with stuff to talk about. I, I just wanted to make up for that quick episode on Tuesday. So just a little rundown. Obviously, NFL Championship Weekend Preview. We're going to be talking our top five conference championship matchups of all time. Uh, NFL Awards finalists came out this week. We'll be running you through all those. Getting to some MLB news. I'm going to lose my mind over the Baseball Writers Association of America's Hall of Fame voting. And then there's no Premier League this weekend. So I, I have a question I found from Reddit for Luke. Uh, I'm going to give off a couple of gambling picks for this weekend's NFL games. And then, of course, stake your claim to round it out. Let's set, let's set the stage here. It's 49ers versus Eagles. 3 p.m. Lincoln Financial Stadium. Eagles are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. What are your initial thoughts here, Luke? Uh, Lincoln Financial Stadium is not the place you want to be in the NFC Championship game if you're the 49ers. That, that's kind of my first initial thought. That place will be rocking, and that'll be a tough environment to play in. Yeah, but if there's any team this whole season that's been you know well-suited to go into the link, it's got to be the 49ers. This is the best matchup of the year, and we've got the best defense this season going up against the best all-around offense. I think this is fixing to be one of the best NFC championship matchups or just NFL conference championship matchups we've seen in a long time. Yeah, and I think the 49ers, the key to victory for them in this game is I want to see them run the hell out of Christian McCaffrey. He only had 10 carries and 35 yards, uh, but he did have a touchdown last week against um, the 49ers play, the Cowboys. Um, I, I just I think he needs to be used more. Um, Elijah Mitchell got a lot of touches too, but it looks like he actually may not play. He is questionable, and I don't think he practiced today or yesterday. So that'll be a big factor for the 49ers. Yeah, and, and look, both defenses are very good. And, and I think that the Eagles are a little bit less good on the run defense than the 49ers. They rank 16th this season in rushing yards allowed per game with 121.6. And when you've got McCaffrey and Debo, you know, maybe Elijah Mitchell in the backfield, I think that the Eagles are going to have some issues. Look, statistically, you got to run to the left side. Last week, Saquon against the Eagles had four attempts between the left tackle and left guard. That was for 51 yards on those four attempts. His other five attempts to other spots resulted in 10 total rushing yards. On top of it, in Week 17, Alvin Kamara attempted nine rushes to the left side for 50 yards. His seven other attempts resulted in 23 yards. So look, use McCaffrey, use Debo, use Elijah Mitchell, and go on that left side. It seems to be where the holes open up for most teams against the Eagles. And look, if you can exploit any weak spots in this Eagles defense, please, by all means, do it. 
because on the offensive side, you're going to have some problems. The Eagles are top three in total yards per game this season and points scored per game, top five in turnovers all season and rushing yards per game. They're top 10 in passing yards per game, and it just looks like this offense can't be stopped. Yeah. Um, last week, though, I did I did want to bring up something, uh, a con of this Eagles offense, is against the Giants, they did win 38-7. to That is a absolute blowout. But it only completed passes to five people. You had Devonta Smith, who went uh, six receptions, 61 yards and a touchdown. Dallas Goddard, he had five receptions, 58 yards and a touchdown. But A.J. Brown, pretty much a non-factor. Three receptions, 22 yards, no touchdowns. And like I said, they only completed passes to five people. This is the kind of defense that you're not going to want to do that against. You're really going to want to spread the ball around and have, I, I mean, pretty much more success than what they had last week against the Giants. Yeah. Look, the 49ers, first in opposing yards per game this season, first in points allowed per game this season. They're obviously the best defense in the league. But, look, for the Eagles, they just need to get creative. Jalen Hurts is going to be under pressure, and the coverage is going to be stellar. That's just going to happen. But you still need to make things happen in the air. Screen passes, curl routes. The receivers need to create separation because it's hard to throw over the middle with Fred Warner lurking, and you can't really go deep on this very good secondary. So get creative. Make your make your receivers create separation off the line. Get some short routes that really work in your favor, and you'll start moving up the field. But for the 49ers... Like I said, obviously run the ball to the left, but use Kittle to the best of his abilities. He's one of the best blocking tight ends. Use that to improve the run game even more. On top of it, he's one of the best receiving tight ends. So use that as well. Quick passes off the edge, throws over the middle. Let Kittle eat, and you'll be cruising to the Super Bowl. (laughs) Really? Yes. Easy. (laughs) But this is the Eagles team that can contend this 49ers defense I mean the Eagles offense they're they're absolutely loaded and they played well all season long they're coming up against a defense that's also played pretty well all season long and I this one's going to be a tough one it's it's going to be an offense versus defense match but I still want to see the Eagles run the ball look they ran the ball 44 times against New York last week Kenneth Gainwell had an amazing game 12 carries 112 yards and a touchdown Miles Sanders still got the bulk. He had 17 carries and uh, 90 yards. Jalen Hurts had nine carries and 34 yards and a touchdown. And even uh, goddamn Boston Scott got in this game. Six carries, 32 yards, and a touchdown. The 49ers have a good run defense, but you have these four guys enough to, you know, if the defense is wearing down the run game, you're getting one or two yards. You have enough guys to switch out to keep it fresh. So I think – the Eagles can definitely withstand this 49ers rush defense, and I think they can you know, get away with not having to pass 50 times this game. I don't know how successful they could really be against the run because you have Dre Greenlaw and, and uh, oh, Fred Warner looking straight at you as soon as you pass that line, maybe oh even gosh. before. So you got to look out for that. You've got Talanoa Hufanga dropping down from the safety position, he's very good at disguising his pressure, and it's very hard to run on a defense that's set up so well to to really go against any style you run. So I don't know how well they do in the running game because 
you got to make it past Bosa and Armistead first. And then you yeah. got to make it past Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. I think it's it's going to be tough to break away at all. Dude, speaking of Fred Warner, did you see the play where he uh where he covered CD Lamb? Yeah. That was I have never seen a linebacker do that before. Fred Warner is on the opposite side on the line of scrimmage and cu- keeps up with CD Lamb. And honestly, the pass wasn't even underthrown. That that was seriously I, I bet that wasn't even like what he was supposed to do on that play. I think he just read that. Yeah. Fred Warner. Ah uh, man. That guy, he's easily one of the best defensive players in the league right now. He, yeah. he is insane. 100%. And I think he's going to be a big factor in this one. And it's why I like the 49ers. I think they're going to attack in the running game, which is going to run down the clock from the jump. But then their defense with Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw and Nick Bosa is going to show early the Eagles aren't going to have success running the ball. It's going to force them to throw the ball early, which keeps time on the 49ers' side. I... I I genuinely do think it. I'm taking the 49ers. Ah, uh, man, I, I don't know. I, the 49ers are going to have to put up more than 19 points, though, to beat this Philly team. Uh, the Dallas defense, I, I think, really surprised them. And, and for a second there, I thought Dallas was going to be able to uh, come out on top. They are the Cowboys, and they didn't. But th- that's the one thing, man, is the 49ers are going to have to play better offensively if they're going to beat the Eagles. They they had the defense. This Eagles offense is no joke. And I, I don't know. I think it's going to have to score more points. I'm taking the Eagles. I'm going 31. Yes, the Eagles will put up 31 on this defense, and I think the 49ers will eh, we'll go 21. 31-21 Eagles. I got 49ers 27-24. like it. All right. Well, let's talk AFC. The Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow versus the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes with a hurt ankle. Chiefs, though, the the line flipped a couple days ago. I looked at it. It was Bengals minus one because of Patrick Mahomes' injury. Well, now Patrick Mahomes has said, I'm playing. Ain't nothing stopping me from playing. So now the Chiefs are a one-point favorite. They're playing at Burrowhead. I'm sorry. I mean Arrowhead. (laughs) And uh, – 6.30 p.m. on Sunday, and this will decide, you know, the second opponent in the Super Bowl. Look, I got I got to start off. It is Burrowhead. Joe Burrow's never lost to the Chiefs. He averages 327 versus the Chiefs in his three appearances. He has nine touchdowns and only one interception. He has dominated the Chiefs every time he's faced them, and there's a, a pretty good chance they do it again. Yeah, uh, I mean, Mahomes has had... Amazing success over everybody in his division. I'm pretty much any team in the NFL, but the Bengals and Joe Burrow have been his kryptonite. And speaking of Joe Burrow, got to give it to him, right? This is the only praise he's going to get from me this episode, hopefully. He looked really good in the snow, and that's a big deal. The The pass game should not look as good as it did against the, uh, against the Bills in that snow game. He completed passes to eight different people. Hayden Hurst had an awesome game, and that was a that was a really good performance by Joe Burrow. Um, yeah, that, that's really all I got on the Bengals' offense from last week is they just looked really good in the snow in the past game, and I thought that was impressive. Look, you're forgetting something that you know you've been talking about this whole time. Made to call me out. Yeah, you said uh, Joe that- Mixon had a decent <laughs> game. Oh yeah. 
You no, said I, that the I, Bengals don't have a run game, and I told you they've got a run game. You just haven't seen it yet, and you saw it on Sunday. Ah, uh, yes, I did. <laughs> I I had to call you. I couldn't leave you. I couldn't leave that one. Uh, it's fair. I you know I got to take my L's, but yeah, Joe Mixon, you know, looked like Joe Mixon. Uh, I knew that he always had the talent. It hadn't really showed this season, but they he showed up when they needed him to against Buffalo for sure. Uh, and speaking of the Buffalo game, this is, you know, I, I got to knock the Bengals back down again, Grayson, because I just talked about how good Joe Burrow played in the snow. Um, they, the Bengals did not win against the Bills. Joe Burrow had a good game. Mixon had a good game. But the Bills only ran the ball 19 times in a snow game and Josh Allen was your leading rusher with eight carries and 26 yards and a touchdown. He had more carries than almost both of their running backs combined. He only had three less than uh, Devin Singletary and and James Cook. That was, that's not what you want to do. You do not want to pass 42 times in the snow. And that's why the Bengals won the game. Yes, but I wouldn't say that the Bills lost that game more than the Bengals won. I think that the Bengals showed quickly that they were going to pressure them. The Bills' offensive line looked like garbage the entire first half, and that's why they weren't running the ball. And then, you know, you go down when you come out at halftime and you make zero adjustments. Yeah, of course, you know, that hurts the Bills, but the Bengals just stayed on the gas the whole time. And so how are you going to run the ball when you know it's not going to get you anywhere? You try to pass the ball, obviously it doesn't work. I think the Bengals 100% were the better team in that game. It's not that the Bills played themselves out of it. You know who played really well on the Bengals? I'll, I'll give him another shout-out. I'll Mike be Hilton. nice again. I went with P. Ryan. He was very involved in this game. Uh, hang on, where is it on my notes here? Here we go. Seven carries, 33 yards on the ground, and five receptions, 31 yards. He was very involved. He is a premier uh, second-string back in this league, and I wish I saw more of him. Uh, yeah. I saw a lot of them against the Steelers this year. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, he looked good against the Bills, and I'm glad they got him involved. Yeah, and, and another guy that looked amazing who I think is going to be an X factor in this game is Mike Hilton. Coming from, you know, he's in the nickel position majority of the time, and he did such a great job last week of kind of balancing, you know, when is he going to rush? When is he going to play a spy when is he just going to drop back in coverage and the the speed that he has is in like his his instant instinct on moving towards the ball is fantastic he had a couple of ones where like it seemed like he got an earlier jump than anybody and he was back in like the backfield before anyone could get there and, and it forced Josh Allen to throw it away and then the one where he dumps it off to I believe it was Singletary, and Mike Hilton just comes out of nowhere across the field, sweeps his legs, makes him lose like a yard or two. Like, he was all over the place, and I think that's going to be a factor in this one. I love how you brought up Mike Hilton because uh, I don't know if you knew this, but he came – he's from Ole Miss. I'm pretty sure that was his college. And he actually – he played for the Steelers for a really long time. And don't quote me on this, but I think he actually tied the record for – most sacks uh, coming from a cornerback in a season when he was on the Steelers. Listen, he may be 5'9", but I knew exactly what kind of player the Bengals were getting when they got him, and I was so mad that he stayed in the AFC North and played for a different team. 
Mike Hilton is an amazing football player and is not talked about enough. Yeah, and look, he's going to be all over Mahomes and Isaiah Pacheco's ass. And my advice to the Chiefs, avoid him at all costs. Yeah, um, which they have the offense to do it. But I wanted to bring up last game, Patrick Mahomes had a super strange stat line. I have never seen like Mahomes' numbers look like this. He still had a good game. But was uh, He completed 22 of 30 passes, so fairly accurate. He was under 200 yards. Was only uh he was averaging like 6.5 yards like per um like completed you know passes and two touchdowns he you know spread the ball around nine different players caught the ball but Travis Kelsey caught 14 of Patrick Mahomes 22 receptions and or 22 completions and that was Travis Kelsey had an insane game yeah. against the Buffalo Bills or not against the Buffalo Bills um Jags who against the Jags thank you um, I just don't know of any tight end, even Gronk in my lifetime, I don't think could ever put up 14 receptions. That's like premier wide receiver numbers. He, I, Travis Kelsey's insane. Yeah, me and Brock talked about it on Wednesday. Travis Kelsey's a top three tight end of all time. Yeah, easily. It's him, Gronk, and Tony G. Yeah, he, he has the playoff success even more so than Tony G, you know, if we want to yeah. get um, technical, but like, yeah, Travis Kelsey, way better than Gronk, in my opinion. Just watching him, I, Travis Kelsey, I think, has more to offer. Yeah, of course. I think Gronk's ability to be a red zone threat and, you know, having Tom Brady as his quarterback 100% yeah. helped him. You know, it, it was easier for Gronk because he didn't have to, you know, try and do anything creative. And I'm not saying that Mahomes can't play like Brady. They play two different types of football. Mahomes likes yeah. to launch the ball downfield, make some creative passes, Tom Brady likes to throw for like five to ten yards over the middle. So the the way that their offenses worked were very different, but I think in Kelsey's case it really helps him out. But I do want to talk a little bit more about the Bengals offense before I get into all the, the Chiefs. So I think that on Sunday, quick throws will be the key. Look, we're, we're going to talk about this later, but Chris Jones, Defensive Player of the Year candidate, he spares no man. On a football field. <laughs> and then true. you got to worry about George Karloftis and Frank Clark because they're dogs too. They'll come in and, and, and beat your ass 100%. That's just how those guys are. So get the ball out quick to your receivers. They are all talented after the catch. Jamar Chase has that burst of speed as soon as he catches the ball. And same for T. Higgins. Use it. But as well, if they're not getting free... You have Mixon and you have P. Ryan, who are both very skilled pass-catching running backs. Yeah, um, with, with the Bengals, I was kind of disappointed in their um, in the involvement in some of their other guys. It was cool to see Hayden uh, Hurst have such a good game, but T. Higgins didn't really do much, and nor did Tyler Boyd, which is weird because Tyler Boyd has pretty much been like non-existent this whole regular season. But yeah, like. Use all of the guys in the short game, uh, in the short pass game. And, you know, they already spread the ball around enough well. But I, I don't know. I think the Bengals could uh, could try to do more of a better job of getting more of their, like, um, also really good kind of talented average players. It doesn't always have to be Jamar Chase. You, like I said, you have Tyler Boyd, you have T. Higgins, you have Hayden Hurst. Use them. Yeah. But then for the Chiefs, look, Mahomes is going to force himself to play. 
And if the Bengals' pass rush does what they did last week, he's not going to be able to do much. Because, look, his mobility is limited, so evading pressure is not an option. So if you want to win, we were just talking about him, throw it to old reliable Travis Kelsey. You know he can do anything on the field. So use him to his full extent. Give him routes that create separation. Because last week, he averaged 3.45 yards of separation on his 17 targets for 14 receptions. And you kind of have a backup plan for the quick passes. If if Kelsey isn't open, hit Pacheco out of the backfield. Utilize his speed with the ball. Last week, he had a 39-yard run where he hit a top speed of 20.97 miles per hour. Use his speed out of the backfield, and you're going to get the yardage you need. Yeah, um, the Chiefs, though, they did not do a good job of really spreading the ball around against the Jaguars. They did complete and target a lot of different people, but only Juju, Kadarius Tony, and Travis Kelsey got over one reception, and Juju had two, Kadarius Tony had five. If Travis Kelsey doesn't have the game that he had against Jacksonville, who knows uh, if this AFC championship game would still have the Chiefs in it. Yes, I am going that far. They, You cannot rely on one guy against this Bengals defense. Kadarius Toney's plenty talented. Juju Smith-Schuster is – he's okay. You have to get these guys more involved if you're going to want to beat the Chiefs because they're also talented, but if they're not getting the ball, Travis Kelsey – I think the Bengals could lock up Travis Kelsey in this game if they really wanted to. Yeah. You just, you know, create your own matchups if you're the Chiefs. Help yourself out as much as possible because you have the talent, obviously. You know, Mahomes wouldn't have had 5,200 passing yards in the regular season if you didn't have talent in the receiving game. But use it correctly. Don't don't try and be like the Bills last week. Don't go for all the deep balls. And Mahomes has done a good job of limiting that. Just play a little bit more conservative. Play a little bit safer. Let Kelsey block a few times. Like, help out Patrick Mahomes because he's a little bit banged up and just kind of see where it goes and, and adjust from there. Yeah. And, and honestly, even though the run game has been, you know, kind of iffy for the Chiefs the past couple of years or, you know, during the Mahomes era. Jaco's plenty talented. Jarek McKinnon's plenty talented. They ran the ball 30 times against Jacksonville, which I think is pretty high for the Chiefs. Pacheco had 12 carries. McKinnon had 11 carries. I think I'd like to see that again from the Chiefs, especially with Mahomes being you know, kind of iffy on his ankle. Might want to get the play action going to get guys kind of more open rather than him just slinging it into tight windows and five wide. I would like to see the Chiefs run the ball a lot against the Bengals. Yeah. All right. It's time for the final score predictions. Right. I'm going to go ahead and go first. I got Bengals 34-23. And look, I don't I just don't think that the Chiefs are going to score enough with Mahomes' injury. I think they'll get into field goal range a few times, but they're only going to score two touchdowns. Okay. I'm going to go Ah, man. I want to be right or do I want to go with what I hope happens? <laughs> no. Go with your heart. With my heart. Well, uh, Bengals 21, Chiefs 17. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. I, I don't see. <laughs> the Bengals are just. 
I think the Chiefs are the Chiefs are going into this game kind of hurt, and the Jacksonville game was a lot closer than what I think a lot of people expected. Chiefs are going to have to show up, and you know the Bengals have always showed up against this team. It's going to be tough for the Chiefs to win. Yeah, it's as simple as that. All right, that's going to do it for us. So we've got, I've got the 49ers Bengals. And you've got Eagles Bengals yes. in the Super Bowl. All right. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. And then we'll have to wait another week because of the goddamn Pro Bowl. But <laughs> <laughs> let's go ahead. Let's talk about our top five conference championship games of all time. Oh, my goodness. Let's go five so to excited. one. Okay. Yeah, that's five what I was one. hoping we would do. Okay. Luke, give me your five. All right. Um, I went with Pats versus Ravens, 2011 AFC Championship game. I will never forget this game, watching it at my grandparents' house. I don't remember a lot of the specifics of the actual game itself, but what I do remember is Billy Cundiff, Ravens kicker at the time, had a chip shot field goal, I want to say. It was like inside the 40. It was like a – or not inside the 40. It was inside 40 yards of a field goal. It was like a 30 – maybe like eight yarder and he missed it and it sent the Patriots to the a uh, to the Super Bowl that year and I was very very happy <laughs> that was an iconic game for me all right I like that one that's a that's a solid pick for five my number five mm -hmm. uh, a relatively recent one and it's more based on the storyline than what really happened in the game 2020 NFC Championship, Bucks versus Packers. Brady and uh, Rodgers, first and most likely only meeting in the playoffs across their illustrious careers. The Buccaneers take a 21-10 lead at the half. And then just one of the like sloppiest second halves I've seen out of either of these quarterbacks in their playoff career. It starts out. Aaron Jones fumbles on the first drive out of the half. Bucks score a touchdown. Packers answer with another. And then it goes downhill. Brady throws a pick. Packers touchdown. Makes it 28-23. Next drive. Another pick from Brady. Packers get the ball. Three and out. Bucks get the ball back. Brady does it again. A third interception in three drives. Then the Bucks finally, they lock it up with a field goal with four minutes to go. Packers try to bring it back with a field goal of their own, but to no avail. The Buccaneers win it 31-26 on route to Brady's seventh career Super Bowl. Oh, uh, yeah. We all love when Tom Brady does well. <laughs> Look, um, I, I, as much as Tom Brady ruined eighth grade Grayson's life, He's the greatest quarterback of all time. Yeah. Um, he is no, I, I, throughout my list. <laughs> I'll just he, say may have, uh, he may have beat you in the uh, Super Bowl, but he's the single reason why the Steelers haven't been to like 12. <laughs> uh, man, always stopping us in the playoffs. Um, hey, for my number four. Yeah, let's hear it. I think this one probably made your list because this one's a damn good one. Seahawks-Packers NFC Championship game, 2014. Nope. Seahawks took it 28-22. to 22. You said it wasn't in your list? No. 
Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's that's interesting. Um, I'm pretty sure the Seahawks had a crazy comeback in this game. I did not watch this game. Uh, I know they won the game in overtime. Let me throw the quarterback stats at you, though. This is a this is kind of strange here. Russell Wilson threw his first touchdown of this game in overtime. That's the game. Uh, that was the play that uh, sealed the win for the Seahawks. Uh, he threw four interceptions this game. The one touchdown and four picks, and he was the quarterback that won. Aaron Rodgers wasn't much better, though. He was uh, he only passed for 178 yards, threw two picks, had one touchdown as well. Uh, this game was just crazy. I think in the highlights I saw there was a there was a field goal where a Packers player was supposed to block, but the ball took like an uh, this is not a field goal onside kick. The ball took like an awkward bounce, and instead of blocking like he was supposed to. He went up to try to grab it, bounced off his fingertips. Seahawks recovered it, and I think that was – they scored on their drive um, and then took it to overtime, and that's when they won the game. But, yeah, the Packers have, in our generation, Grayson, have just been constantly crushed in the NFC Championship game. That is my number four. All right. I've got a little bit more of, like, a, a fun pick here at number four. 2017 okay. AFC Championship, Patriots versus Jaguars. You've got Ooh. Tom Brady, the greatest of all time, versus Blake Bortles, the blakest yes. of all time. Coming off of uh, beating the Steelers 45-42 to 42 yeah. in the divisional round. Dude, yeah. this game was so weird. Like, this Jags team had no right to be in this position, but they were, and everybody thought it was going to be a blowout. Patriots were seven-and-a-half-point favorites going into this one. And then the nation is shocked. The Jags are up 14-10 into the half, and they get the lead to 17-10 at the end of the third, and that's just when Brady came to play. Patriots outscore the Jags 14-3 in the fourth, and Brady goes into his eighth Super Bowl appearance and then ultimately loses to the Eagles. like that one. Yeah, dude, like that, that game was great. Like, what, like? That defense for the Jags had Jalen Ram- like a young Jalen Ramsey, Calais Campbell, um, yep. oh uh, who- AJ Aboye, who was crazy yeah. good that season. Who was that linebacker? The young guy. I want to say he's from Florida. Miles Jack. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. that defense was sick, and Blake Bortles looked like a great quarterback. Now he's retired, but I I loved Blake Bortles. Just coming out of UCF, I liked him. But, yeah, that that game should have never happened. It did, and it was amazing. I think Leonard Fournette had, a like, a really good um, yeah, season that year, too. Yeah, he had a solid too. game. Yeah, I boycotted that game because of the, how they got there. <laughs> I think I remember it, watching the first half at, like, the dentist. Uh, of the Steelers game or the AFC Championship game? The AFC Championship game. For some reason, I vividly remember being at the dentist uh, at least on the same day as Patriots Jaguars in the AFC championship. Gotcha. Um, all right, you ready for my number three? Let's hear it. Here's where the Steelers make it on the list for the first time. Steelers versus jets, 2010 AFC championship game. This one isn't talked about enough. And I think it's, it's a weird one because this was the last time the jets have ever been in the playoffs and they made it all the way to the AFC championship game. They had Mark Sanchez as their quarterback. They were 11-5 and five this season with Mark Sanchez. 
Um, Ladanian Tomlinson, about to retire, was on this team. He was actually their, like, second-string running back who would kind of come in on, like, certain plays. This team also had Santonio Holmes from the Steelers, the former uh, Super Bowl MVP. I believe he was the Super Bowl MVP of uh, the toe-tap touchdown against the Cardinals, that Super Bowl. But just the Jets came in with a very weird team. They met the Steelers, who were – very good. Ended up being 24 to 19. The Steelers took it. Um, ben Roethlisberger threw 19 passes, 10, uh, 10 completed, no touchdowns, two picks, 133 yards, and won this game. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Uh, Antonio, Antonio Brown, this was his rookie year. He had one reception for 14 yards, and it was on a third down that ended up icing the game. Uh, this was a very fun game to watch. Uh, I it's just so funny to think that we ended the Jets for like 13 years and counting, uh, at least on their like playoff drought. <laughs> um, but uh, of course, the Steelers would go on to that Super Bowl that we're not going to talk about <laughs> Good. and lose. Um, yeah, this was just a fun AFC championship game. And it's it's an underrated one, I think. Not a lot of people talk about this one. And it was the last time the Jets went and it was pretty close. So I like this one. That's why it's my number three. Yeah, that's a solid one. I don't remember that one happening i'll be honest yeah it's a weird one but let's get into my number three probably one of the best matchups uh, in playoff history 2006 afc championship game patriots colts brady versus manning the ninth edition of this rivalry brady had the edge in the series going into this one he was up six two Brady won the first six meetings against Peyton, but Peyton had taken the last two, including a 27-20 win in Foxborough earlier that season. And it didn't look good going into halftime. Patriots had the lead 21-6 at the half. And then the history is made by Peyton Manning and the Colts. First, a 15-point third quarter, then a 17-point fourth quarter to win the game 38-34, the biggest comeback in, I believe, conference championship history at the time. And it takes Peyton Manning to his first Super Bowl. He ultimately wins his first of two in his career. I like it. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. And like it was the first time that the two of them played each other on uh NBC Sunday Night Football. Little fun fact. Oh wow, okay. And uh you said that the Colts came away with the win in the yeah. Super Bowl? Yeah, they they uh they ended up winning it. I can't quite remember who it was that they played. The oh the Bears. They played the Bears. That's right. Yeah, that was uh that was Prince's halftime show. Yeah. That that game in uh Miami, I think it rained the whole time. That sounds right. Yeah. I like that pick. I like that pick. Um, all right. My number two. That's versus Chiefs 2018 AFC Championship game. This one ended 37-31 to 31 in overtime with the Patriots taking it. And uh, I, I remember watching this game in a Dairy Queen, Grayson. I was in a Dairy Queen watching this game. And I... Have, wait, hold on, hold on. They have TVs uh, at Dairy Queen? The one, uh, the one in my hometown, yeah, they do. Okay. Fair uh, enough. Almost uh, dropped my the name of my hometown, but uh, I, I think I'm done being bleeped on this podcast. Great idea. <laughs> so we're going to try to try to not do that. But um, 
crazy back and forth game. I really thought the Chiefs were going to win it. Tom Brady, uh, two picks, one touchdown, but 348 yards. And obviously, he showed up in the fourth quarter and in overtime. I don't really have much that I remember about this game, like kind of stat-wise. I just remember it being back and forth. And, of course, Tom Brady, you know, in his prime, games like this always ended up on top no matter what the other team did. So, that is why this is my number two. It was very entertaining. Yeah, I love that pick. All right, my number two, a very recent one, the 2021 AFC Championship game, Bengals versus Chiefs. This game was awesome. Eli Apple got the stop as time expired for the first half to hold the score at 21-10. He tackles Tyreek Hill on the one-yard line as the time expires. And then the Bengals come out. They outscore the Chiefs in the second half, 14-3. Chiefs win the coin toss for overtime. Then on the third play, Mahomes throws an interception to Von Bell, sets up Evan McPherson for the field goal. He hits the game winner, continues the Bengals' Cinderella story, and then ultimately fall to the Rams. But still, it, it was crazy i don't think anybody was prepared to see this chiefs team fall last year or two last year two years ago it was last oh year my gosh last yeah year. that was last year <laughs> I, I just remember like kind of to harp on the Bengals again don't want to do it too much but you know i give credit when credit's due and evan mcpherson especially being a rookie I want to say, didn't he put up like 20-something points in the postseason alone that year? Yeah, well, and he hit a game-winning field goal in each of the games except the Super Bowl. That's right, yeah. Uh, just crazy performance by a kicker. It kind of it, It's a little bit sad to not see him play as well this year, but, I mean, rookie year, he showed up and was clutch. And, I mean, what else more could you ask from your kicker to show up and be clutch? Yeah. No <laughs> he kidding. was amazing. All um, right. Oh, number one. Do you, do you know what my number one is? I, I think it's kind of obvious. I don't specifically. I'm sure it has to do with the Steelers. It is? Yeah. Well, let's go ahead here. Okay. 2008 AFC Championship game, Steelers yeah. Ravens. Yeah. <laughs> Steelers <laughs> came out on top 23 <laughs> Uh This was actually Flacco's rookie year leading Baltimore to an AFC championship game. So shout out Joe Flacco. Sorry that the Ravens uh, kicked your ass out of town for Lamar Jackson, who may not even play with y'all next year. Um, Yeah, Joe Flacco, uh, you know, sad to say, but he got completely owned this game. Uh, 141 yards passing, no touchdowns, three picks. And the one pick, Grayson, I know you know this play, gives me chills every time when he picks it off. The crowd roar at Heinz Field is sick. And the fact that TP, Troy Polamalu, ran that back for a touchdown to ice the game, I don't think there is a – that's the greatest moment in Steelers history by far. And Roethlisberger had a good game. He was, you know, backyard bin, running around in the pocket, looking like he has no idea what's going on but completing passes. It, it was just an amazing game. And it was also um, the third time that we beat the Ravens that year. We completely swept them and uh, obviously went on to win uh, number six against the Cardinals. So – yeah, that is that's probably my favorite Steelers game of all time. Not just favorite AFC championship game. <clears throat> all right. Well, I also went with the Homer pick. Uh 2016 NFC Championship game. 
Falcons, Packers. I loved every moment of this game. Falcons, they blew it open early. They opened it with a touchdown. Mason Crosby misses a field goal for the Packers the next one. Falcons go get it, get a field goal. Then they get a touchdown. All right, punt, touchdown, halftime. 24-0 at the half. As a Falcons fan, I was pretty scared, but I was extremely excited. Packers come out of the half, three and out. Then just some ridiculous stuff. Both teams just, I guess, put it in gear, and they went six drives in a row with touchdowns. The first touchdown, a 73-yard touchdown pass to Julio Jones, and ultimately the Falcons take it 44-21 to go to the Super Bowl for the first time since 1998 and the first time in my lifetime. Yeah, that was... um was a special game that i did not watch i i was actually preparing for the steelers uh patriots afc championship game that was going to be the night game after the falcons played um i should have uh taken my nap during the steelers game instead of the falcons game because uh the steelers got murdered by the patriots but um i remember um like i said i took a nap during the falcons packers game and i remember waking up and like looking at the final score I, I was 100% sure that Aaron Rodgers was going to be uh, the winner of that game and the Packers. But Falcons were Falcons were the real deal that year. And yeah. they dropped 44 in the NFC, cha- uh, NFC Championship game. That's very impressive. Yeah, dude. Julio had nine receptions, 180 yards, and two touchdowns. Matt Ryan, 392 yards, four touchdowns. Didn't even get sacked once in that game like it. I, I actually have an honorable mention for you, Grayson, one that I couldn't fit on this list, but I wanted to put it on here. Um, it, it's just a really memorable game for me. Um, 49ers Falcons NFC championship game in two, uh, 2012. Yeah. Um, let me find it on my notes here. Sorry. Okay. 49ers came away with this game. Uh, 28, 24. Remember it being, uh, I think like, it was like a last play. The Falcons had drove all the way down the field and, you know, the clock was winding down. And I want to say that Matt Ryan completely missed a wide open Tony Gonzalez and threw it somewhere else on like fourth and goal. The Falcons unfortunately lost this game. <laughs> Listen to these stats though. Matt Ryan, 396 yards. He's a NFC championship game player. Apparently three touchdowns, one pick. Julio Jones Grayson. This must have been like his rookie year or his sophomore year in the league. Yeah, it's pretty. Eleven early. receptions, hundred and eighty-two <clears throat> yards, and two touchdowns. A lot, a lot of parallels in this one. Very close statistics for the two of them yeah. in those NFC Championship games. Yeah, of course. Unfortunately, the Falcons lost, but um, man. What a game that was. The Falcons, I mean, like completely dominated on offense. Almost had uh, 500 yards on offense in total yards. Um, it couldn't come away with the dub, but I remember watching this game with my dad. Yeah, that game Memory. was awesome until we lost. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it. So it went, I had the 2020 NFC Championship and then the 2017 AFC Championship. The 2006 AFC Championship, 2021 AFC Championship, and the 2016 NFC Championship. And if you could just refresh me on your list.
I had um, at number five, I had Pats versus Ravens. That was 2011 AFC Championship game. Number four, I had the Seahawks versus Packers. That was your 2014 NFC Championship game. At number three, I had the Steelers and Jets. That was in 2010 in the AFC Championship game. Jets versus Chiefs in 2018. And then Steelers, Ravens in uh, 08. All right. I love it. So let's move on from the championship games and let's talk a little bit of postseason stuff. Some NFL awards finalists. Uh, I think this is all of them. They've all come out. Uh, we'll start with MVP. That's what most people care about when it comes to the NFL awards. Your five finalists. I don't know why there's five and not three. You got Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Justin Jefferson, Josh Allen, and Joe Burrow. And just like for starters, I couldn't be more happy that Justin Jefferson is at least getting his recognition here as a finalist. Me too, and I, I honestly hope he wins it. Um, the only thing against him is he has had a couple games where, you know, he's just been completely shut down. You know, one being the wild card game in the playoffs – I'm pretty sure he got shut down against the Packers where they got blown out. And I want to say he also got shut down in the blowout against the Cowboys. Those are really my only arguments against Justin Jefferson. When he was playing well, he was completely unstoppable. And really it's been um, since 2017 or 18, I can't remember the exact year when Antonio Brown was uh, looking to be an MVP finalist, but he got hurt on Sunday night football against either the Packers or the Ravens. I'm not really too sure uh, which game it happened in. But, yeah, I, I'm all for wide receivers being uh, considered in the MVP finalist, and Justin Jefferson has made a case all year long, and I hope he wins it. Yeah, uh, I think that it's, you know, it's refreshing to see somebody who's not a quarterback be a finalist. I think the hard thing for, you know, voters is that a wide receiver doesn't dictate what happens in a game. Obviously, they can make their differences – in the game, but the ball has to come to them for that. And yeah, Justin Jefferson got targeted a ton by Kirk Cousins, but he didn't dictate what happens like the other four finalists. Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, they, they you know, kind of choose their own path here and, and create opportunities for themselves, whereas Justin Jefferson has to get into a position where, you know, Kirk Cousins can throw to him. Yeah, um, I agree with that, you know, and that's that's unfortunately always going to be the case for, you know, non-quarterback uh, candidates and the MVP finalist. Um, I think out of this five, Justin Jefferson is the one I want to happen. I think his would obviously be the most fun. I think it should go to Patrick Mahomes, though. And, and that's just simply because in the regular season, he was unstoppable the entire time. Joe Burrow kind of had an iffy start, and Jalen Hurts ended up getting hurt towards the end of the year. Patrick Mahomes was a constant superstar the entire time, and I think it probably will go to Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I think it's really just between Mahomes and Jalen Hurts. In my eyes, um, they're the most deserving to me uh, this season. Jalen Hurts, after you know he missed two games as well, still had 3,701 passing yards, 22 passing touchdowns, uh, six interceptions, but it's not that bad. And then um, a passer rating of 101.6 for the season. But on top of that, the rushing yards. He 
rushed for 760, 13 rushing touchdowns. He did fumble the ball five times, but that's, you know, not crazy when it comes to running the ball that often for a quarterback. I, um, it kind of makes you wonder how much of uh, Jalen Hurts being on this list can be uh, contributed to the Eagles acquiring AJ Brown during the draft. I, that will be a moment that sticks in my head for a while. I could not believe that the Titans traded AJ Brown for pretty much a bag of chips and he ended up on Philly and him and Devonta Smith, man, that is, that's going to be a deadly duo for a while. Yeah, they truly will be torturing teams for a long time. But, yeah, I, I probably give the edge to Patrick Mahomes here uh, when it comes to the MVP. But let's talk Offensive Player of the Year, uh, some familiar faces from the last one, and somebody that I didn't really expect to be here, and that's Tyreek Hill. Uh, the four finalists are Tyreek Hill, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, and Justin Jefferson. Yeah, Tyreek Hill undoubtedly had an amazing year. It's just kind of surprising to me to see him here. I agree. Um, I, I, he definitely, yeah, he had an amazing year, but I don't think you could really say that he played better this year with the Dolphins than he ever has with the Chiefs. Of course, it is his first year, but it definitely a strange uh, player to end up on this list. Yeah, uh, yeah, he had a great season. Undoubtedly, had a great season and was probably the best offensive player on his team. I just, yeah, I don't see really, I don't see him touching any of the other three finalists. No, I don't either. Um, I, You can't win MVP and Offensive Player of the Year, can you? Oh, you can. You can? Yeah. Okay, well, I, I, just kind of looking off this list, Patrick Mahomes might walk away with both of them. Um. I, I think your offensive player of the year is where you could see Justin Jefferson in case they, you know, want to go different from whoever they pick with MVP. But a Tyree kill is still very strange. I think, you know, I can't really think of any players off the top of my head, but I don't know why he's here. <laughs> yeah. I personally, a guy that I maybe would have considered for this, not, you know, much more than, um, I'd be considering uh, Tyreek Hill. I was totally blanking on his name for a second. Much more than I consider Tyreek Hill, but Josh Jacobs. He had an amazing offensive year. 1,653 rushing yards. He led the league there. 12 touchdowns. And then he was also really good in the receiving game. He had 53 receptions for 400 yards. The dude had a hell of a season, and he's not getting all that much recognition. Yeah, no, he um definitely kind of had like a, a the best season of his career um for sure. Um, he had that one game. Ah, oh, man, you're gonna have to help me out here. He had oh, one game where he it. had like I know exactly 240 like all-purpose yards. It yeah. was ridiculous. Um, kind of interesting, you know, a little bit off topic, but uh, I don't think Josh Jacobs wants to be in uh in Vegas anymore. That's fair. That'd be that would be kind of interesting. I think I saw in like a locker room interview um, after they had just been kind of like uh, mathematically eliminated from the playoffs that he was uh, extremely fed up. It'd be kind of interesting to see if uh, he's a free agent, you know, in the next couple of years or requests a trade. 
Yeah, he he's an outstanding player, and I do agree that I think he needs to be in a better situation. Kind of a, a move, kind of like Christian McCaffrey. Uh, Josh Jacobs has been very good. Uh, this is his fourth season, I believe. He's rushed for over a thousand yards in three of those now, and yeah, he needs to be in a winning situation. There's a lot of destinations for him. It's just about you know who's willing to give up that kind of stuff. Because look, it's hard to trade with a team that's in a rebuild especially when they're kind of just starting it right now for the Raiders and it they're gonna want a lot especially for uh probably their second best offensive player I'd say Devontae Adams is a better overall offensive player but Josh Jacobs is valuable right now especially with how young he is it's gonna be hard to pry him out of the Raiders yeah. Did you find the um did you find the game? Yes, I did. It was uh against Seattle, a forty to thirty-four win in overtime. He had thirty-three carries for two hundred and twenty-nine yards and two touchdowns, as well as six receptions for seventy-four yards. That is unbelievable. That has to be the best uh single player performance of the entire season, right? I feel like Joe Mixon's was. Joe Mixon's five touchdown performance? Oh, that was this er, year? Four four touchdowns. Yeah. Why can I not remember yeah, Four that? total touchdowns for Joe Mixon. Huh. Against who? I'm pulling it up right now. I can't quite right. remember. Uh, it was kind of like right before... It was like the week or so before the concussion. Um. Uh, okay. Let's see. It was against Carolina. Uh, 42-21 when he put up 153 for four rushing touchdowns and then had 58 receiving yards and a receiving touchdown. It's pretty solid. Yeah, so it's kind of between those two for the best offensive game. But let's talk defensive. Defensive player of the year finalists. Two guys that I wasn't really surprised by, and then one guy that kind of crept up on me for this. Um, So you got Micah Parsons and Nick Bosa. They were 100% guys that I saw being finalists and then Chris Jones uh the last finalist I brought him up earlier in the show just kind of talking about uh impact players for the Chiefs I didn't realize that he had that good of a season but he did the 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 numbers don't lie here 30 solo tackles 15 and a half sacks two forced fumbles that's a a fantastic season from a defensive tackle 15 and a half too that's a lot yeah. of sacks or you know guys that are kind of just there to eat up blocks for the linebackers but uh i have some honorable mentions here of course i i love micah parsons and nick boa uh nick boa nick bosa on this list uh did you see micah parsons like throw the 49ers lineman with like one arm just dude throw he is ridiculously strong yeah, like, he's, he's i don't think people guys. understand how hard that is to do Exactly. He he kind of reminds me, and this is kind of a stretch here, but I'm making this connection. He is like the defensive Najee Harris, just a guy that's not big, but you know they're they're, they're a good size, they're strong, but like the strength of Micah Parsons is unbelievable, and he's wicked fast. He is uh is I think probably on on track to be probably the highest paid defensive player in the league. I yeah, I think it's kind of between. Him, I guess, has TJ Watt gotten extended? I think he has, right? Yes. Yeah, so he's already got paid. I want to say Nick Bosa's already gotten paid. 
Micah Parsons has got a good chance, especially, you know, Derwin James got paid a lot this offseason. But, yep. um, yeah, Micah's definitely got a chance to be one of the highest paid. He's just got to keep it up. Yeah, the defensive players definitely they're they're starting to get their bread now. You know, you had Roquan Smith becoming the highest paid uh linebacker of all time uh in Baltimore. I think they yeah, paid him changing. like six years for like a hundred million dollars. That's gonna change um, with Micah, one hundred percent. Oh, a hundred percent. Um, but back to the kind of defensive player of the year, I had some honorable mentions. First Steelers fan, I gotta put one of my guys in there. Minka, he was tied for picks this season. Um, you know. I think he deserved to at least be in the conversation. You know, if he's not top three, then he's probably like top five or top six. Um, I also like Fred Warner a lot too. And I actually like Fred Warner more than Chris Jones. Love it. This list. I, I think we're, you know, we can mention two 49ers guys for defensive player of the year. Cause that's just how loaded they are. I also like foyer Aluakon another honorable mention love it uh, i love foyer Luicon so much i know he's not with the falcons yeah. anymore he did not get his shine last year for how good he was and he's not getting it again this year i'm pretty sure he's still the leader in uh, tackles he also played in playoff games and played well in playoff games this year he uh definitely deserves more credit but i think you know out of out of these three um like Micah Parsons, I think he's kind of the most fun pick. I think he's more of a game changer than Nick Bosa and Chris Jones. Um, yeah, I like Micah Parsons. Yeah, I, I like Nick Bosa for this one. I just think that the the voters tend to be very enamored by either like a big turnover number or a big sack number. And like, the, I'm pretty sure Nick Bosa led in sacks. And I want to say he had like 17, maybe more. So I, I got a feeling that the sack total is just going to sway the voters. It's hard to take a linebacker that plays in coverage a lot because they're not going to put up a ton of sacks. They don't get a ton of like pass defenses because it's not always going over the middle of the field. But obviously, Micah Parsons' impact is seen when you watch the game. It just doesn't really reflect in the stat sheet, and I think that that's something that the voters tend to miss on. Yeah, um, definitely the stats don't lie, um, and that's kind of the issue, you know, going to what you said, is the more versatile the defender or the pass rusher, you know, the less they're going to win awards. They'll still be mentioned, you know, if their stats are still good enough, but, um, yeah, that's kind of why I went with Micah. Is he, he's a little bit more of a vers- – well, he's actually a very much more um, versatile player than Nick Bosa. But, yeah, Nick Bosa is going to have more sacks than Micah Parsons all the time. Yeah. Let's talk Offensive Rookie of the Year. Oh, controversy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the three finalists are Kenneth Walker, Garrett Wilson, and Mr. Relevant, Brock Purdy. Yeah. Um, uh, we kind of, you know, hinted at this at the uh, before we started recording, but yeah, Brock Purdy uh, being on this list has been my entire Instagram feed for the past couple days. Yep. Uh, and I... I don't really have an opinion on it, Grayson. I cannot decide one way or the other if I like Brock Purdy in this list. Because, one, he has played, like, zero games compared to the rookies that have been playing all year. Like, Chris Olave is is another guy that, you know, is kind of being snubbed here because of Brock Purdy. And I just I, – I don't know because Brock Purdy's been really good, though. Dude, he, he, also he started like, six games, and he didn't look bad in any of them. 
Yeah, and he's also in the NFC Championship game right now. Um, yes. And is playing well in the playoffs on top of that. But should he be here or not? I'm not going to say. Uh, I'm not going to say. Dude, <laughs> I, I have no the clue. The thing is, is like, people are going to say he's not going to belong. He doesn't really belong in this conversation because he only started six games. He only played in nine, and like two of them, like he got a snap and like ran the ball a couple times. But he's probably going to win. Yeah. He's by far the hottest player in terms of popularity on this list. Yeah. And, and like, dude, his his passer ratings are undeniable. Like, in his five starts, first one, 88.8. Not the best, but 134 against the Buccaneers, 117 against Seattle, 114 against Washington, 95.4 against Vegas, and a 141.3 against the Cardinals in Week 18. Yeah, I mean, he's just that kind of nothing special, situational role-playing quarterback, and he's really damn good at it. But on the other side, it's kind of interesting because you and I, I know like the other two guys, I, I like Kenneth Walker for this award, and I know you like Garrett Wilson for this award. I don't even have to hear you say yeah. it because I, yeah. I know how you've talked about Garrett Wilson before, but um, yeah, let me hear. Why do you think – I do you think Garrett Wilson should win this award? I don't. Not not anymore. I uh, uh, I feel like Brock Purdy's changed my mind, dude. I'm going with Brock Purdy. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, I think I, I'm going to go with you. I think Brock Purdy will win it, but I hope it's Kenneth Walker. It won't be Kenneth Walker. <laughs> I, I can't hope it's Kenneth Walker out of respect to how great Tyler Algier played this season. <laughs> Should he be on this list? Maybe. I, I, there if there, if of, there um, was four, I'd say he'd have been there. Yeah. Um, and last thing on offensive rookie for me, uh, there were a lot of the Steeler like fan pages that I follow on Instagram that were like just livid, and I, I'm kind of going against them here. Is they they thought that George Pickens and or Kenny Pickett should have been on no, this list? No, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I, George Pickens does not have the stats. He was effective, but he you know wasn't as big of a part of the offense as you know like Garrett Wilson or Kenneth Walker, or even Brock Purdy was. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of, I'm going against my, my tribe here. I, I don't think any of the Steelers rookies should have made this list. It, dude, if they're arguing that Kenny Pickett should be up there, <laughs> I would love to know what kind of drugs they're doing at Pittsburgh right now. I'll find you the post and I'll, I'll send it to you. <laughs> that is ridiculous, dude. Yeah. If you're no, really, like if you're really fighting for your life over the, over Kenny Pickett, being in the rookie of the year conversation you've lost uh, your mind that's how we are um but, uh yeah like I, I remember the post i didn't read all of it because I, I i was busy at the time probably had like class or something but yeah it was it was literally grace in a whole paragraph of why kenny pickett should be there instead of brock party i i couldn't tell you one reason <laughs> other than the games played wish i read it but um i'll find you the post and send it to you but yeah very oh very strange takes by, by my <laughs> fellow fans <laughs> All right, well, let's talk Defensive Rookie of the Year. Um, it's obvious. We don't even have to say the other finalists. It's Sauce Gardner. Grayson and I, you know, on this podcast, and I, I enjoy doing this. I don't know if Grayson does, but I I find a thrill in doing this. I will suck Sauce Gardner's cock any day of the week. <laughs> he is amazing. And and I, I want to give the NFL credit here. The other two guys, Aiden Hutchinson and Tariq Woolen, uh, and, you know, we'll throw in Sauce Gardner too. Just all three of these players that are up for this award, 
think the NFL got it completely right. These are yep. by far the best three defensive play- or defensive rookies that are up for this award. But yeah, it, it's Sauce Gardner, a hundred percent. Yeah, like these are definitely the top three. I'd say if there was like five, uh, you can throw uh, Jaquan Brisker in there. Uh, you could throw like Kayvon Thibodeau in there. But yeah, these are the top three, 100%. But yeah, Sauce Gardner is undeniable. And look, you can say the stats don't back him up. Tariq Woolen has better stats, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's because nobody throws the ball at Sauce. We went over this before. The game against the Lions, he didn't get targeted once. Like, that is some elite cornerback stuff. Like, that's some stuff you do to like prime Darrell Revis. You don't do that to a rookie cornerback. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, like we've already kind of mentioned on previous podcasts before is when the Jets go up against teams that have the Keenan Allens, the Justin Jeffersons, the Jamar Chases, Sauce Gardner is already shadowing them the whole game. And that's like to me as a cornerback. That is your, you know, kind of signal that you are a absolute dog is when you're the kind of cornerback that can be like, you know, Josh Norman in his prime and just follow around Julio Jones, Odell Beckham Jr. That is when you are top five, top three in the league at your position. And Sauce Gardner is already doing that. Yeah. All right. Well, um, enough of uh, Luke just confessing his sexual fantasies about Sauce Gardner. You've done it too. You've done it too. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I have. Whatever. Comeback player of the year. Three finalists. You got Geno Smith, Saquon Barkley, and Christian McCaffrey. And as much as I want to say it should be McCaffrey or even Saquon, it has to be Geno Smith. I think the storyline just writes itself. Because, look. It's amazing what Saquon and Christian McCaffrey have done coming off of injuries and pretty much missing all of last season for the both of them. But Geno Smith, he hasn't played like a, a snap in the NFL in years. It was a total bust when he got drafted by New York and whatever year that was. But yeah, uh, another one here, um, kind of like a defensive rookie of the year, where I can say the NFL got these three guys right. These are the three top candidates in the NFL, in my opinion, for comeback player of the year. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It should be Geno Smith. Um, and I know on a previous podcast, I picked Christian McCaffrey when we did a segment, you know, kind of like predicting of who we wanted to win these awards. Um, only because you picked Geno Smith kind of a little behind the scenes of second and short. I completely think it should be Geno Smith. Um, but, man, is it fun to watch Sa- uh, Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey healthy. I will say that. Yeah, it, it is amazing. Those two are, I'd say, top five running backs when they're healthy. Um, and, you know, just Saquon, really more so Saquon. I remember, you know, it feels like we haven't seen him play in forever. And I'm just glad that the injuries haven't taken a toll on either of these backs because they are so fun to watch and they are so good when they are healthy. <laughs> yeah. And they were healthy the entire time this year, which was awesome. Made the NFL more fun. Yeah. Oh, and I do want to say, because what Luke said could be misconstrued, we don't normally talk about our lists before we go on, but we were sharing with each other a couple of our uh, our picks for the uh, NFL Awards um, predictions we did a couple of weeks ago. Yes. I don't want people to be thinking that we're rigging these things. We just uh, oddly just happened to not pick any of the same championship games in this one. I was very surprised. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of surprised about that, too. Um 
Also, I, I want to say that when we um, did uh, like kind of our best rookie list, I want to say that we had Kenneth Walker as my number one and Garrett Wilson as your number one for like this award. So kind of cool to see our predictions kind of be right here. Yeah, and I actually put Brock Purdy on my list, and you didn't. No, did not. <laughs> so you are, you are, you're, you got me there. <laughs> All right, we've got the last award we're going to talk about, Coach of the Year, and yes. this one is interesting. Because like my my pick for Coach of the Year isn't even a finalist. You've got Brian Dable, Kyle Shanahan, and Doug Peterson. And look, I love these three candidates, but it's hard to say that Nick Sirianni shouldn't be here. Yeah. Um. Wow, I didn't even think about him. Yeah, he's definitely one of the biggest um, kind of left out um, – or honorable mentions, I will say, you know, from this podcast. Uh, yeah, and he there was a there was a top five that came out, and he was in that top five. He just didn't make the final three. Yeah. Um, okay. So he was in the top five, but didn't make the you know final three. But that's probably. I mean, that does him some justice, I guess. But I love these three picks. I actually like Kyle Shanahan the most, and that is because he had to deal with Trey Lance getting hurt. Like, what was it? Week one, his yeah, uh, season so. got ended. Uh, yeah, I think that was uh, the Chicago game in the rain, or it was either the that week or the week after. Uh, he had to deal with Garoppolo getting hurt. And you know what? He coached up his Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy, and now he is in the NFC Championship game with easily one of the best defenses we've seen in the NFL for the past couple years. I like Kyle Shanahan for this award, but Doug Peterson and Brian Dable are also good picks. Yeah, I think that the allure to Brian Dable is that he's a first-year head coach. His team sucked for a while. Until this year, they went nine eight and one, right or nine seven and one? Yeah, nine seven and one. Um, and, you know it doesn't really factor in the playoffs, but they won a playoff game. Like this was a phenomenal season for the Giants, and a lot of it can be attributed to Brian Dable. But I, I think he's gonna win. I think Shanahan deserves it more for all of the reasons you already stated. And then Doug Peterson, fantastic. Kind of his return. He's kind of the comeback coach of the year. Um, Just, you know, left the Eagles after some some problems and then comes down to Jacksonville to follow up much more than a problem uh, with Urban Meyer and found great success. You know, kind of a a turnaround season, win the division. They won a playoff game, which once again doesn't factor into this, but won a playoff game regardless. And they had an amazing season as well. I just think that when it comes down to Doug Peterson versus Brian Dable, Brian Dable has the edge because he's never been a head coach before and they had the better season. Yeah, um, to Doug Peterson's credit, too, I wanted to bring this up. He was also a part of the front office that brought Christian Kirk uh, to Jacksonville, and he's been absolutely amazing with Trevor Lawrence there. Um, also kind of the head coach that, um, you know, started to get Etienne going and, and his NFL career as well, you know, with trading away uh, James Robinson to the Jets. And, you know, like you already mentioned, or we both already mentioned, is that comeback that he had. They were like, what, four and eight? And then just one out. Yeah. Insane. Uh, honorable mention, though, I am going to throw in Coach Tomlin. Uh, we were two and six and finished the season nine and eight, and almost made the playoffs. 
so I think he, he's got to kind of be at least in like the top seven, probably because we still were out of the playoffs. But, um, yeah, I like Kyle Shanahan the most for this award. Yeah, I got an honorable mention as well. That's Pete Carroll. You got to oh, yeah. commend him. He just he just lost his franchise quarterback, and they made the playoffs with Geno Smith and a rookie running back. They they had a lot of rookies, didn't they? Oh yeah, they the defense two. was loaded with rookies. They yeah. all played very well, and I think they had like some rookie offensive linemen as well that played well. Like they were a sneakily very good team this year. And I think that a lot of that has to do with how good of a coach Pete Carroll is. Yeah, Pete Carroll is uh, always chewing that gum. He he stresses yeah. out my family so much because every time they show the camera, he is just smacking. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> Pete Carroll, I, he's a very respectable guy. I love Pete Carroll. All right. Well, and then I just have a quick NFL news thing. Uh, it came out earlier today. Frank Reich was named the head coach of the Panthers. So that's one team and coach off of the coaching carousel. Yep. little fun fact, Adam Scheffner tweeted this. Frank Reich took the first snap in Carolina Panthers history and started their first three games. As what, quarterback? Yeah. Oh, pretty cool. Um, I actually have another, now that you kind of brought up, you know, a little news uh, bit. Nathaniel Hackett got a job yesterday. <laughs> uh, the Jets hired him, which is very strange to me. I thought his NFL career was over, and let alone getting hired before the season he got fired in is already over. Unbelievable. I couldn't yeah, believe that. Look, I think that you could say his career is over, but what he did as a, uh, an offensive coordinator in Green Bay was nothing short of amazing. The, that offense was amazing. He coached two MVP seasons for Aaron Rodgers back-to-back. His, his offensive coordinating – is very, very good. He just isn't a great head coach, and his players there were just a mess. Yeah, um, but, yeah, the Jets brought him on. I, I forget what position they hired him to. I just kind of read the, um, the, like, you know, headline that he got hired by the Jets. So, kind of interesting news there. Yeah, I like that. All right, let's move on from the NFL. We've already talked about it for, like, an hour and 15 minutes. Let's get into the MLB. A ton has happened in the MLB. I've got some news that we kind of missed on uh, on Tuesday or on Wednesday's episode just because we were in such a crunch. So I'm going to go through some of that, and then I'm going to talk about the Hall of Fame because even Luke heard me before we started recording. I was fuming. So <clears throat> just to start it out, pretty big trade, honestly. Marlins and the Twins agree on a deal. Luis Arias goes to the Marlins. Twins receive starting pitcher Pablo Lopez and then uh, infielder Jose Salas and outfielder Byron Chirillo. But the notable part is obviously Luis Arias for Pablo Lopez. And I think that this pickup is amazing for the Marlins. Luis Arias, last year's batting champion, he hit like something ridiculous, like 330 or something. He was a phenomenal contact hitter last week, and he's got a decent glove at first base. Yeah, he'll be coming to play against the Braves. Yeah, we'll strike his ass out. <laughs> and then, just some news that makes me super happy. This is something I love to see. The D-backs have hired the first woman 
to manage a minor league high A team and the second woman to manage a, uh, a minor league affiliate of any MLB team. Uh, her name is Ronnie. I'm going to butcher this last name. It's Gajownik, I want to say. Could be wrong. She's going to be managing the Hillsborough Hops of the D-backs farm system. And yeah, congratulations to her. Uh, this is such a great step for the MLB. I feel like, you know, we've seen a lot of, like, even with the NFL, there's been women on coaching staffs in the NFL and the NBA. And finally, the MLB is kind of following suit. Though it's in the minor leagues, being a manager in the minor leagues is huge. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of the um, one who oversees the development of a lot of the superstars that will play in the MLB. So it is an important job. Yeah, for sure. So congratulations to her. This is a, a great step, and, and good on the D-backs for, for making that decision. Dub for women. 100%. W for the Ws. Um, let's talk Braves now. The rest of this news <laughs> is all Braves. <laughs> Braves signed Kevin Pillar to a minor league deal. Great pickup. It's not really going to have a big impact unless somebody goes down, but me and Luke were talking about it. He's one of the best defensive center fielders in, in recent time. When you're only talking about defense, he can't really hit for anything. But he has just highlights upon highlights upon highlights of diving catches and robbing home runs. Like, the guy's a ridiculous center fielder. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, for the Braves is maybe this, you know, it, let me know if you agree with this statement or not, Grayson. I'm, I'm going I'm to talk here. Braves, you know, with them being a young team, I feel like the Kevin Pillar um, – you know, signing is a is a good one for them. He he's an old guy. He's like probably one of the older guys on the team. And I, I just feel like you know, for a very young team, although already successful and you know, but they're still inexperienced. I feel like these kind of older vets, you know, they can they can help out a lot in the locker room. So I, I do like this signing a lot for the Braves. Yeah, it's a huge pickup, and he probably won't be on like the active MLB roster for, you know, the first little bit of the season. But if we see any injuries to any of the outfielders, be sure that he'll probably be the first guy up. Like it. All right. And then just some fun stuff. Spencer Strider changed his number to 99 officially. I, I think people had talked about it happening when the season ended last year. But, yeah, number 99, just like wild thing from Major League. Also, a number that he surpasses often on the radar gun. <laughs> he can throw hard. Yeah, dude. He throws flames. And uh, I was watching uh, another name drop, another Foolish Baseball. But more, uh, it was on his second channel, Foolish Bailey. Great video. It was Foolish Bailey and Spencer Strider ranking um, albums from The Strokes. I don't even listen to The Strokes, <laughs> but I was just enamored by... Spencer Strider and one of his friends, they have a big board of songs. I want to say there's like, I want to say he said like 757 indie songs, all ranked on their own scale in one giant Google Sheets. That is some dedication. Think about it. This guy's been busting his ass playing baseball for his entire life. And also just has the time to make just the most ridiculous spreadsheet of indie music. 
and the mustache, man. Gotta oh, love yeah. the mustache. All right, and to talk about a little more of that youth for, for the Braves, Braves are 100% committed to Grissom, Vaughn Grissom, being the starting shortstop. Brian Snicker came out in a statement, said that he isn't even considering letting him fight for a spot in left field. He wants him at shortstop. And the Braves planned uh, some infield sessions for Vaughn throughout the offseason with Ron Washington, who is notoriously an uh, amazing infield coach. And look, Ron Washington does wonders for your glove in the infield. And they did three sessions. Two of them already happened in New Orleans. And he'll have one more session before spring training starts uh, that week leading up. He'll be down in Florida with Wash, just putting in the work. And it's going to give him a huge leg up. I think he'll probably start opening day, depending on how spring training goes. But Orlando Arcia is still a great shortstop. So if Vaughn doesn't come out firing, there is a, a nice safety pillow to lean back on with Orlando Arcia. Yeah, the Braves are in, you know, great hands at the shortstop position. And but I, I just I'm rooting for this Grisham guy. He is so entertaining to watch. He's a good bat. I think he hadn't even reached his potential fielding or batting yet. I, I would like to see him become a better fielder. But yeah, this kid, I, I hope he starts day one. Uh he could be he's on pace to be around for a very long time, I think, in this league. Yeah. If he puts up numbers just like he did for that like first month he was up. He's going to be great. And, of course, you know, guys are going to struggle when they first come up. He, he, The strikeout numbers started rising after the first couple weeks. That's just going to happen. Guys figure you out a little bit more. But after seeing that first game that he played, the home run, stolen base, like he looked stellar. And I'm just – I'm really hoping that Vaughn Grissom turns out to be, you know, one of the better players on this team in the next couple of years. The the blueprint is definitely there for him. I, I just hope he can fulfill all that I think his potential offers. All right. And then our last little bit of news before I get into the Hall of Fame. Mike Soroka is back. He's cleared. He'll be attempting to come back from his second Achilles injury. It's room, They're saying he's not going to have any restrictions to start spring training. But I do at this point, I've kind of given up on Mike Soroka, man. It's been too long. If he comes back and plays well, though. If he comes back and plays well, more power to him. I loved it. I will be very grateful for that. I just, and I can't sit around and wait every year for Mike Soroka to come back. It just, it eats me up inside to sit here and just be like, well, but we have Mike Soroka. He'll be the five in the rotation every year. <laughs> yep. I I don't know. The the Braves are one of those teams, and I, I don't think enough people, you know, give them credit, but it, it seems like every season with the Braves, especially in recent years, is like they, they've been awesome, as you know, Grayson. You know, they're they're champions and they were in the postseason last year. They are like never healthy when they really kind of need to be, and they still show up. I think this this Braves team has a lot more potential than what people realize, and it's injuries like this that are holding them back. Yeah, 100%. It's guys, like, I, I felt the same way with, like, Sean Newcomb. He was super good, and then he got a, a comebacker straight off the head by J.T. Romuto that 
I saw in person that was wow. sc scarring. I was uh, like up above home plate and you could literally hear the ball hit him in the head. That was a, a horrible, horrible thing to witness. But like he didn't seem all that effective. He spent like a week in the minors rehabbing, came back, and he just was bad all of a sudden. Moved into the relief role, had a couple good games, and then ultimately we sent him to the Cubs. But I just, look, when a young pitcher gets hurt early in their career, it is not a good sign. And I just, I hope that's not the case with Soroka, but I feel like at this point it might be. I don't know. We'll have to see, but it would be really cool to, you know, see him come back and, you know, be a big role for the Braves uh, this coming season, though. Yeah, I can't wait. And I can't wait to do this. <laughs> the Hall of Fame. Voting came out. One player from this ballot was put into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And it is Scott Rowland of the Phillies, Cardinals, and then later on the Blue Jays and uh, Reds. I can't believe this at all. I have been fuming for what, the last day since this news came out, I've just been losing my mind. And look, Scott Rowland, I'm not saying he was a bad player whatsoever. He he finished top four in MVP voting one year. He was uh, a perennial gold glove kind of guy. He won the rookie of the year in 97. Long, 17-year career. A, a plus glove, plus bat. But I... I feel like Scott Rowland was never phenomenal. Like, I know that I shouldn't just sit here and look at his stats. But if you know baseball reference, it's interesting to see there's nothing bolded. There's nothing in italics. Which, for you, Luke, I'm, I'm sure you're not too familiar with baseball reference. If things are bolded, that means that you led your... Um, you led the either National League or American League in... Um. Oh, excuse me. You led them in that statistic. If it's italicized, you led the league in that statistic. He didn't do it for anything in his entire career. He was never wow. the best in a season at one thing when it came to hitting. <laughs> and then on the ballot. Yeah. And not only on the ballot, he is going to be inaugurated into the Baseball Hall of Fame. That is ridiculous. Oh, Look, yeah, okay, he made, what, one, four, he made seven All-Star games, which is great. That is phenomenal. In a 17-year career, that is awesome. Won a couple of gold gloves. Won a silver slugger. But outside of that, he didn't do much. And he was on a couple of good teams in Philly and St. Louis, but... I can't believe that he made it in over guys. And I'm going to sound like a homer again. I don't care. Guys like Andrew Jones, who was on this ballot, didn't make it in. It boggles my mind. Like, actually, I don't I don't know if this was Andrew Jones on the ballot. This, It might have been his last year on the ballot, or last year was. I can't quite remember. But Andrew Jones should be in the Hall of Fame. It's absolute bullshit. Look. He, for, what, 
from 97 through 2007, he was the best center fielder in the game. He finished fifth in, in rookie of the year voting in 1997. Wins a gold glove in 98. Gold glove in 99. An all-star MVP. He came in eighth. And he won the gold glove in 2000. 2001, gold glove. 2002, all-star. 16th in MVP voting. Gold glove. 2003, all-star. 13th in MVP voting. Gold glove. 2004, gold glove. 2005, all-star. Second in the MVP. Gold glove and a silver slugger. 2006, all-star. 11th in the MVP, gold glove. 2007, gold glove winner. How in the fuck is this guy not in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> that sounds like the best center fielder of all time. Yeah, and people say that like he kind of played himself out of the Hall of Fame in those later years after he left Atlanta. He went to the Dodgers, played like garbage. It didn't play well in Texas, didn't play well it, uh, with the White Sox. Played a little bit better there than other years, but still didn't play well. And then with the Yankees, he was old and slow and fat. Um, But regardless, that run, it it wasn't even just a run. More than half of his career, like 75% of his career, he was the best center fielder in the world. Like what, 10 years straight, did you just say, pretty much? Uh yeah, so ninety seven through two thousand seven, so yeah, like ten ten years, just he, complete domination. Yeah, he won a gold glove in nine of those years. That's insane, and they were all in a row. And look, if you want to say that you know he wasn't a valuable player, a sixty two point seven WAR for his career, a baseball reference WAR, phenomenal. He had one year where he had negative war. It was a negative 1.6, and that was in L.A. Wasn't great. Whatever. But he had defensive war seasons, and defensive war is very hard to come by. 3.9, 3. 3.8, 3.0, 2.7. Like Those are phenomenal defensive years on top of years where he had home run totals of 51. In 2005, he led the league in home runs as a center fielder. He had 41 the year after that. He had multiple seasons with 30s. How is he not in the Hall of Fame? Let me go back to another homer homer pick that I think deserves it even more than Andrew Jones is Dale Murphy, a guy who was off the ballot years ago, still hasn't made it in, even through all the other committees, still hasn't made it in. And let me tell you, there is a lot of bolded and italicized numbers on this sheet. But I'm just going to say it, say it like this. All right. From 1978 to 19, probably say 1987. That's where I'll, I'll stop this sample size. He was one of the best players in the world, but he just wasn't on one of the best teams and it screwed him over. Like, he was an all-star in 1980, 12th in the MVP voting. 1982, all-star, won an MVP, won a gold glove, won a silver slugger. Led the league in RBIs. Played every single game that season. Next year, 1983, all-star, wins the MVP again. 
That's back-to-back MVPs, back-to-back Gold Gloves, back-to-back Silver Sluggers. Led the league in OP, or sorry, led the NL in OPS slugging percentage, RBIs, and played every game that season. 1984, 162 games played again, 36 home runs, led the NL. 547 slugging percentage, led the league. 332 total bases, led the NL. All-star, ninth in MVP, gold glove, silver slugger. And I could go on, but I am tired of saying it. How are these guys not in the Hall of Fame and Scott Rowland is? <laughs> it's weird. I like. I don't know. Kind of hearing you talk, I, I don't know of any other... Hall of Fame committee in across you know the other popular sports in this country that is it's iffy <laughs> and sketchy. It's it's weird. Yeah, and don't even get me started on you know how the members are selected because there's a bunch of guys like yes, uh, um, not I wouldn't even say a vast majority, probably over fifty percent of the writers are MLB writers, not team specific writers. There's not a single Braves writer in this list. Peter Abraham, Red Sox. I'm not going to go through the whole list. I'm just giving a couple examples. Jim Alexander covers kind of the California teams with the Angels, Dodgers, and Padres. Uh, Zach Buchanan from The Athletic covers the Diamondbacks. Steve Buckley from The Athletic covers the Red Sox. A bunch of Yankees guys, uh, a bunch of Phillies guys. Uh, Coincidence? Yeah. Uh, A couple of Reds guys. Coincidence? Um... And then, like, there's so many other guys that represent a team. Not a single one is a Braves rider. And that is so bullshit. I think that there should, I think the committee should be 30 people. Or, or no, I think the committee should be 45 people or whatever number you want. But there should be one rider from every single team. Yeah, um... It would definitely be kind of cool if there were more, um, if there was more structure to who was on committees um, in, in any sport, really. Like, it would be kind of interesting. Like, I don't know, would you as a fan w- want it to be like former play, like players that are already in the Hall of Fame amongst, you know, journalists? Do, do you want it to just be former players? Do you want it to just be journalists? It, it's kind of interesting to think about. Yeah, look, I think there should be a good mix. I think that there should definitely be some former players, former managers that make those decisions. Because right now, like you have the um, uh, whoever just inducted Fred McGriff, I believe it was the Contemporary Era Committee or whatever, inducted Fred McGriff into the Hall of Fame. And 100% deserves it. Brave for a little bit, won a World Series with us. Um <laughs> I just, uh, I don't, I don't know. It, it's tough. I think that the writers, it, it makes sense that the writers do it. Obviously, it's the Baseball Writers of America's Hall of Fame. They get to do that, whatever. But they need to have more former player and former manager representation. Because guess what? Some of these guys that are voters now, they weren't even writing about baseball when Scott Rowland's career started. Yep. Like, they didn't witness a bunch of this stuff. And then, just to to talk about some guys from this year's ballot, the 2023 ballot that didn't make it in, Todd Helton, on his fifth year on the ballot, 
He didn't make it in. He 100% should be in. He got 52% of the voting. All right, look, there's guys on this ballot that 100% should be in. Alex Rodriguez is on this ballot. It was his, I believe, second or third year. And look, I know he juiced, whatever. He did his time. He's a Hall of Fame player for the for the love of God, dude. He hit over 500 home runs. He should be in there. There's multiple other guys. And I know Carlos Beltran, his whole career is kind of tainted by the, the cheating scandal with the Astros. He was really good. He should probably get in at some point. Jimmy Rollins should probably get in at some point. Uh, Gary Sheffield. Even like Omar Vizquel has a... a a chance. Billy Wagner should probably get in. Obviously, fucking Andrew Jones should be in. I already <laughs> went over that. Tory Hunter is arguable. The rest of the guys probably not. Maybe Andy Pettit should get in. But come on. Just Scott Rowland out of this group? Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Makes you wonder what goes on behind those doors, and it I I don't know. I wonder if um, wonder if they're happy with Scott Rowland just being in. I wonder if there's guys that are kind of like, are you kidding me? How did we not? So look, look the ballot should have been ten times easier this year because the guys that left the ballot from last year, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa, Kurt Schilling. All those guys are off the ballot now. There's a lot less steroid guys to deal with. The steroid era guys are kind of fading out now. And you're still fucking these guys over. Yeah. It's despicable. But that's it. Now that the veins are popping out of my head. <laughs> that was good. I liked that. I'm glad. There will be more where that came from next year when they don't put in the same people I want in. <laughs> All right. The Premier League is on a bit of a, uh, a break this weekend. I didn't realize until right before the episode. But luckily, I already had this question prepared. I found it on Reddit. Um, it's mainly for Luke because he has a team in Europe. I don't really. Well, I kind of like West Ham, but they're not a possibility whatsoever for this question. <clears throat> Luke, which player would you rather your team sign? Jude Bellingham, Pedri, Musiala, or Verts? So Verts is, you know, looking at this question, it, he's completely off of the list for me. I don't like Verts at all. Musiala, is that is that how you pronounce his name? I think it's Musiala. Luciala. Uh I did do some kind of research on him. 16 matches in the Bundesliga. He has nine goals, six assists. That's uh, that's not bad at all, especially on Bayern. Um, that's fantastic. But with with how bad Chelsea is right now, I kind of would like the other two players that are already sort of developed. And that's between, you know, obviously Bellingham and Pedri. I... Oh, this is such a tough question because of these two players. <laughs> it, it's do you want the Englishman, right? The the home guy to come play for Chelsea. He's lanky, he's got skills, he can defend, he can score, he can pass. Pedri, obviously kind of shorter. He's not as much of a physical presence, but 
Pedri, I think, is a better soccer player, um, just kind of in, in general than Jude Bellingham. I I would take Pedri. Yeah, I, I think Pedri is the next Iniesta, and I would like it to be with Chelsea. I think you're kind of insane for just kind of looking over Jamal Musiala. Is uh, that? He is starting, not just playing, he's getting starts for Bayern Munich right now. He's got 16 appearances, 9 goals, 7 assists. 82% of the time he's in the starting 11. He's played 74% of the minutes in those matches. And he's got he's been a part of 31% of their goals. That is insane. I'm actually looking at him now. Uh, he spent 2011 and 2019 with Chelsea. So Chelsea is probably the first team he ever played for. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Jamal Musialis probably... I don't think he's the best. I don't think he has the highest ceiling between these guys. I just think that, you know, he's definitely in that conversation with Bellingham and Pedri. I understand why you would kind of look past Tristan Wirtz. Yeah, I, you know, Bellingham and Pedri are coming off of uh, World Cups, right? They both were involved in the World Cup. None of them were hurt, correct? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, and I... I don't know they're both you know young already in world cups musiala you know he's still kind of i feel like has a little bit longer to go although he is already a starter on a super team in a one of the top leagues in europe i i think i want pedri out of uh, these four players but bellingham is a close second yeah and do you know how old pedri is i know i know musiala and jude bellingham are both 19 i want to say pedri is still a teenager that's wild Oh, he's twenty. He turned uh, he turned twenty on November twenty fifth of last gotcha. year. So right before the uh, or I guess during the World Cup, um, yeah, he's amazing, Pedri. I I would probably take him as well. I think that starting for Barcelona at twenty years old, you know, not many people do that. Guys no. like like you said, he's probably going to be the next Iniesta, and. You know, guys like Iniesta and Xavi and Messi, those are the kind of guys that start for Barcelona at 19. I'm sure like Bojan probably did as well, or like Christian Teo, but, yep. you know, not all of them have to be like that. And, you know, Teo and uh, Bojan, obviously, you know, they did make it into the team, but they obviously did not stick like Xavi or Iniesta. Yeah. Um, and Pedri. I think he could handle the Premier League. You know, he already is kind of a presence in the El Clasico uh, as far as, like, physicality goes, um, which is a good sign because the Premier League, you know, I think Gonzalo Higuain, when he uh, came to Chelsea and sucked for that short time, uh, said the defenders were built like warehouses and the refs don't call shit (laughs) or something like that. It's just – it's one of my favorite quotes you can look up. But Pedri, I think, can handle that kind of physicality, you know, He's one of those guys that's not going to allow, you know, defenders to put hands on him. He's going to pass the ball or, you know, move around you before you get there. And, you know, he dictates games with his uh, passing. So I I like Pedri. But like I said, Jude Bellingham kind of – he's a little bit more well-rounded than Pedri, you know, with his lankiness and his ability to defend a little bit better. But I don't know. I think with what Chelsea need right now, I'm tired of signing, you know, billions of dollars worth of defenders. And I think I would, you know – for Pedri. <laughs> yeah. Is there any other young guys in Europe right now that you're eyeing as a Chelsea fan? You know, obviously you Mauricio guys just... Chiesa. 
Sorry, who was that? All right, sorry, Frederico Chiesa. I, I only cut you off because I have I have thought about this kid before. I loved him in the Euros that Italy won a couple summers ago. Obviously, Juventus have not been as good, and Chiesa has not been as good. But I, I'm not a big fan of the wingers that Chelsea have on the team right now. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I've never been a fan of Pulisic on Chelsea. I like Chiesa, who is another young talent. Yeah, it's funny because Chiesa, like if you just looked at his face, you would assume he's probably like 50 years old and these pictures are from 10 years ago when he was yeah. like a veteran playing. But he looks like he looks older than like John Luigi Buffon does right now. Yeah, uh, but uh, very effective Italian winger. Um, I love Chiesa. Yeah. He, he's a he's kind of a do it all guy. You know, he, he's got the um, he's a playmaking winger. You know, a lot of wingers uh, in today's game, I feel like, are just kind of your crossers and your speed. But Chiesa can cut inside and pass to the midfield. He knows how to move around. I, I like Chiesa a lot. Yeah, and Chiesa is a little bit older at 25, but I know that uh, Juventus rejected an offer from Arsenal for 55 million. 60 million for a guy who's already 25 that's not a bad deal especially with how so. how well that Chiesa has played he hasn't played a too many games this season in Serie A I think he's been injured a little bit but yeah, 60 million is a steal for uh Federico Chiesa but I do want to talk about Chelsea's newest youngster uh Michaela Mudrik 22 years old uh he didn't start the game he came in for what like uh like 30 35 minutes yeah and made an impact, 100% made an impact, and he looked phenomenal. Can we go ahead and get into the stake your claim? Well, I, I got to talk about my gambling picks before we get to the stake your claim. Okay. And then 100% I am down to hear what kind of ridiculous thing you have to say about Mikel Mudrik's future at Chelsea. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> All right. I'll run through these gambling picks so we can get into it. I got five picks here, and trust me, I'm not just saying these. I'm going to bet on them. Don't tell the government. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to bet on I'm going to tell people that are 21 and live in a gambling state to bet on these picks, and I'm not going to benefit what, whatsoever from them. All right, whatever. 49ers plus two and a half. Uh, I, I like it. Look, I think the 49ers are going to win. If they don't, it's going to be a nail-biter. And I think two and a half is a decent line. I could see it, you know, if they do lose, maybe like a, a, a t- uh, 21-23 type deal. Like I could see that happening in this matchup. And yeah, I like 49ers plus two and a half. Little player props for that game. I like McCaffrey over 54 and a half rushing yards. I talked about it. The Eagles are the, were the 16th ranked team in rushing yards per game I think that McCaffrey's got a good chance to go over 54 and a half and make a huge impact in the run game I think he's going to get a lot of carries I think he's going to get a lot of chances to break away over 54 and a half for McCaffrey another prop for this one I like Kittle anytime touchdown scorer I think he's going to be super useful for Brock Purdy when they get into the red zone Kittle, anytime touchdown scorer. And then I like Bengals money line. I don't really like betting on the spread when it's like plus one, minus one. Not a big fan. Take the better odds, or not better odds, uh, the higher or lower odds with the Bengals money line. Now that they're not the favorite, help yourself out a little bit. Get you a little bit extra bread off that Bengals money line. 
And then, a little prop for that one. I like Joe Burrow over 38.5 pass attempts. I think he's going to be throwing the ball a lot. Obviously, they're going to run the ball, but we know how much Joe Burrow throws the ball, especially when it gets to playoff time. He is a takeover-the-game type player. He's going to be at least at 40 pass attempts. Smash that over 38.5. You like any of those picks, Luke? Yeah, um, especially with, you know, and I'm, I've said this multiple times, but, you know, Bengals, you know, their running game has been kind of, you know, 40-60 this year. I think kind of uh, their playoff game last week was kind of a fluke uh, running game. Of course, I, I say fluke lightly because Joe Mixon is an elite running back, but it just hasn't been there all year long. I, I, I would bet that, you know, the Bengals probably wouldn't have a good run game, which would allow for Joe Burrow to pass, you know, for – Passes for sure. I'm. He's done it multiple times. He's done it more than he hasn't done it. And yeah, I, I agree with the Joe Burrow one for sure. All right. Well, let's get into stake your claim. I know you're. You just can't wait to give it out. So let me hear about Mikelo Mudrick. Oh man, Grayson. Against Liverpool, this young little Ukrainian boy, ninety-three percent pass accuracy, twenty-eight touches, thirteen passes completed. It was uh, eight for nine in final third passes, so class or passes that are kind of you know close to the goal where it's going to be harder to make passes like that. He only messed up one and had nine attempts. Uh, four ball recoveries. He also completed two out of three of his dribbles, which I, I know that kind of doesn't seem like a lot for you know non soccer fans, but this was actually the most out of anybody in the entire game, and he only played for thirty five minutes. Um, this guy, man. Uh, here's another one. He hit a top speed of 22 miles per hour. That was the fastest of any prim player this year. Wow. He, this is, this is my, this is my claim. This young rap scallion kid, this Ukrainian boy that is just signed for Chelsea, got swept him from our rivals. Arsenal will have more of an impact Chelsea football club than Eden Hazard ever did. There will be Champions Leagues, there will be trophies, and this guy will be a part of all of it. I can tell you're serious when you start banging on the desk. Yes, very serious. That's a bull. I know that Eden Hazard is like your favorite Chelsea player of all time. Yeah. That yes. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I, that, I'm that serious about this kid. I know it's only 35 minutes. He didn't even play a whole game. Of course, we'll be looking forward to that and hopefully covering it. Well, I know we'll be covering it. Chelsea Fulham uh, next week. I think it's on Friday, so it'll be before we record. Um, no, it won't. Yeah. <laughs> well, Luke, it's Thursday. We record on Thursdays. Oh, we, we record on. Oh, my bad. I meant say after. I, I knew <laughs> I, I had it right in my head, but I didn't say it right. Um, yeah, this this Mudrick kid, uh, I can definitely see him being probably one of the best Chelsea players of all time. Yeah, I can't wait for the videos of like Chelsea fans with their thick London accent. Just not being able to say his name for a long time. <laughs> Have you heard the chant? No. He I already love, has a chant. I love English soccer chants. So. Yeah, his, his is funny. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to check that one out. I guess I'll get into uh, my stake your claim. Look, one more I, thing. Oh, please one go thing, ahead. One more thing. Sorry. All that against Liverpool. That's all I wanted to add. Yep. Liverpool sucks. All right. Look, I hyped it up a lot. And... I'm I'm probably going to say this, and I'm just going to be silent for probably like 
you know, 10, 15 seconds, and then I'll talk. <laughs> is that okay. 10, 15 seconds my... Yeah, this is your time to, to lose your mind. Okay. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat so you guys all hear me loud and clear. <clears throat> Patrick Mahomes is a system quarterback. What? No, no, no 10 to 15 seconds. You explain that right now. System quarterback? He's, a, he's an MVP without Tyreek Hill. He lost multiple players. His his running back's on the IR. All right. Oh, Grayson. <clears throat> Go ahead. All Go right. Ahead. Now it's time for me to stake my claim. Oh, here we go. <laughs> he's Love a it. system quarterback, yes. But not in the traditional form of how we use system quarterback. He is the fucking system. This guy is fucking no joke. Patrick Mahomes is the system. There's not guys like that. Tom Brady went to the Buccaneers and really wasn't all that great, especially this year. We all said, Tom Brady is a system quarterback, blah, blah, blah. No, not really, but... We've seen it. Look, when Tom Brady loses a weapon or if he's not just completely 100% in a game, they don't play that well. Patrick Mahomes creates the entire system. The Chiefs would be nothing without him. I like it. I, you know, <laughs> let me reel myself back in. Um, I like that take a lot. Um, they kind of bounce off of that to add something extra is – and this this is my opinion. I don't really have the stats in front of me. This is kind of just me being a football fan. The entire time that Patrick Mahomes has been in uh, Kansas City, yeah, you're right. The system has been him because the Chiefs have like not had a run game the entire time. They've had guys that can fit in in the pass game, but you you don't have many guys on the Chiefs that are you know 20 carries per game, and which is weird because they're a they can do that. They're they're like one of the only teams that can play well without a run game, let alone, you know, be in the AFC championship game for like, it feels like every season of his entire career. I think he's only missed it once, but uh, yeah, I like that take a lot. Yeah. Look, ever since Kareem Hunt decided to, I don't know, practice his field goal kicking on a woman. Um, there has been no run game in Kansas city. Clyde Edwards, Alaire had a solid rookie season two years back was hurt a little bit. Not great. Last year was hurt again this year. Patrick Mahomes creates that offense. And the fact that they're in the positions that they're in is crazy. There's not a lot of quarterbacks that didn't have something to fall back on when things aren't going their way. Patrick Mahomes is what they fall back on when things aren't going their way. Because the second that the passing game isn't working, he gets mobile. He makes things happen. He isn't just going to stand still in the pocket, throw over the middle to try and create momentum like Tom Brady does. He's going to make the big plays come from nowhere. He's going to dump it off to a running back when you're not expecting it. He's going to throw sidearm and not look and throw it behind his back or whatever. He creates he creates opportunities that we don't see other quarterbacks make. He hits windows that nobody else hits. He throws bombs that nobody else can he is the system 
Yeah. Um, and, oh, man, we can talk about this for kind of a while. Like, I, even the play where he's getting tackled and he switches the ball to his left hand and completes a pass. No, it, it, he's unbelievable. And Josh Allen, a lot of people like to argue, you know, I, I think there is a decent fan base in the NFL that would say that Josh Allen is a better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes because Josh wrong. Allen can They're run. Wrong. Josh, I, yeah, Josh <laughs> Allen can run. He can throw the ball deep. But, you know, in this season kind of proves it even more. Josh Allen, it, when their run game isn't going, jo- Josh Allen can't be the system all the time. He can't. But Patrick Mahomes is somebody that can. I, I love this one. This is probably one of my favorite ones you've ever said. Yeah. This one's a good one. You like how I got you at the beginning? Yeah, that was fun. You <laughs> definitely got me. But Dude, I was, no, I was sitting in my car earlier, like the other day, and I was like, dude, I'm, I'm using this. I'm gonna I'm gonna raise Luke's blood pressure, but no, Grayson. Seriously, like think about this. What offense, off the top of your head, has been this successful for this many years, literally without a run game, without the entire time? Like you could say, there's probably a couple of Patriots teams that like didn't have a great run game, but it's not normally they don't have a good run game. It's that they don't have a good running back. That, yeah, that's the, typically the, the problem in New England uh, with Tom Brady. There was that they didn't have they didn't have like a top running back really at all, but they had random ass running backs that would just play well, like Sony Michelle and um, Mike uh, White. No, not Mike White. Crap, what was his first name? Uh, yeah, I know who you're talking about though, and yeah. multiple other guys that just like showed up out of nowhere, especially in the playoffs that really helped him out because look, Tom Brady doesn't have an absolute cannon of an arm, but he's consistent. And if the defense is locking him down short, they could run the ball. Patrick Mahomes yeah. doesn't really have that option. Yeah. Yeah. Isaiah Pacheco has been pretty good this year. Clyde Edwards, Alaire is a great running back. He just is always hurt. And it leaves Patrick Mahomes with nothing else to do, but throw the ball and create chances for himself. They just, um, you know, obviously have to keep a good, um, you know, talent around him to do that. And, you know, he's had Travis Kelsey his entire career. He had Tyree Kill for most of his career. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with that take 100%. Oh, okay. One more thing to address. I know you had talked about Josh Allen and the Bills. I've been seeing this, like, all week uh, after the Bills' loss. Oh, yeah. They, they've been saying that. No, oh we're, oh, we're not talking about DeMar Hamlin. I know, I know. Okay, good. I, I went over that on t- on Wednesday. We, we're not talking about that. It's bullshit. Don't disrespect the fuck out of him like that. Um, I've been seeing them call the Bills a dynasty, saying that the dynasty is over. What fucking dynasty are you talking about? They were not a dynasty. They are not a dynasty. And right now they will not be a dynasty. I haven't seen that. Are people calling them a dynasty? Yeah, dude, I'm pretty sure I saw like an ESPN article come out or, or some some you know blog or article whatever from somebody that said like the Bills dynasty is over. It's not a dynasty whatsoever. They haven't won shit. I haven't even been to a Super Bowl with the team that they've had. If if anything, you you could probably say that this is one of the most talented teams they've ever had. Sure, but this is they are in my opinion the second biggest failure team that the bills have had in franchise history of course 
hard to top Joe Kelly losing like three Super Bowls in a row in the 90s. But this Bills team has been really good, but has had nothing to show for it except for a bunch of playoff losses and really hopeful seasons. So not yeah. too sure where the dynasty is coming from there. Yeah, I'd probably say the Chiefs are a dynasty. They've only won one Super Bowl, but they're a dynasty. Much more yeah. than the Bills. Yeah, no, for sure. That's strange take by, yeah, I just, by the public there. Yeah, I just had to say that because I was like, like, yeah, you could say like, Josh Allen's domination or whatever is coming to an end, which is just a wrong take. Not even just a bad opinion. It's just wrong. Um, but no, yeah, don't call the Bills a dynasty. Nobody's a dynasty. There's one. I'd say that the Chiefs are the only dynasty right now in the NFL. And they're only at the beginning. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> This 49ers team looks like it could be on pace with how young and good they are. But uh, Yeah, we'll see with I, that I, one. There's a lot of guys that yeah. got to get paid. It's true. Um, I thought you were going to bring up Stephon Diggs, though, and the the clip oh, of him. Yeah, we talked about that. Josh Allen. <laughs> we talked yeah. about that on uh, on Wednesday. That was, yeah, he lost his mind, dude. Yeah, I, I mean, shit, I would too. Don't I mean, blame he's him. a good player. <laughs> I don't um, blame him. Yeah, and Josh Allen was just not good enough. But yeah, that's what I thought you were going to bring up. All right, Luke. Anything else you got for the people? Uh, no. We're good. All right. Well, I just want to remind everybody, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, uh, I'm pretty sure they just added to Spotify. Leave us a five-star review. Follow on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And look out for the Patreon. It's going to be coming soon. Uh, Feel free to uh, message the second and short accounts. Anything that, you know, some ideas that you want to see on that Patreon account, let us know. We're 100% open to suggestions. And, um, look, we just want to start making – even better content for the people. And I think that Patreon is a great opportunity. It's, you know, a a place that most podcasts tend to go to when it comes to, you know, putting out super high quality content and and giving, you know, the real fans some real stuff from you. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll keep everybody updated on, you know, what's going on with the Patreon, when it's coming out, things like that. And I, I have something too. We are, like Grayson said, open to ideas. You know, we're getting into that weird area around the year where there just really isn't any sports uh, going on except for, you know, like uh, I think you got college baseball. Uh, there will still be soccer. Uh, we are, you know, more than open to kind of like segments we can do, like, you know, favorite moments in NFL history kind of thing and just, you know, random shit like that. Like, you know, please come up with ideas. It'd be so yeah. cool. Even if you just – you could literally send me one, like, hypothetical. We will talk about it for sure yeah. as long as it's worthy. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's going to do it for us. Like I said, make sure you uh, leave a five-star review, follow on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all the socials as well. Uh, that will do it for us. Peace. Peace.